Well, this morning we are continuing our study of the book of Ephesians, and today we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about the fact that the Lord's blessed us with a gift that we don't deserve. And when you think about various portions of Scripture, and if you want to think about a portion of Scripture that, that really summarizes what the Lord's done for us in regard to our salvation, the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today is an excellent summary of the gift of salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to spend our time this morning just focusing on it, being refreshed by it if it's, if it's something that we're well acquainted with, and being introduced to it if it's something we're not well acquainted with. So again, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read to us, uh, read for us uh, from uh, uh, verse 1 down to verse 10, and this is what it says in the passage. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be able to look at your word together this morning. We're just grateful that we have access to it. We're grateful that you allow us to to read it together and to think about it and to grow in our walk with you as, as we look at it. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us your wisdom and your insight and your understanding into what we're reading together today. We pray that we would develop a deep appreciation for the gift of salvation that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for revealing to us the work that, that you are accomplishing right in front of our face and the work you are accomplishing behind the scenes that our natural eyes did not perceive, but our spiritual eyes can see clearly and rejoice over. And we thank you that this portion of Scripture makes these details very clear to us. So, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts now so that we would understand these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The other day I had a, a very unique privilege. It was something that um, came my direction uh, just a few weeks ago. So I've known throughout the course of, of the first half of this month that I was going to be doing this, but I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Alveda King. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Alveda King, but Alveda King is the daughter of the late uh, civil rights leader, Reverend A.D. King, and she's the niece of Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and I was very excited to have the opportunity to speak to her. Now, she has not had an easy life in many respects. During her childhood, she experienced a whole variety of tragedies, including, first of all, in 1968, her uncle, Martin Luther King Jr., being assassinated. And then the following year, her father being killed as well. 
And then several years after that, her grandmother was also killed. And that's more tragedy than I think most people can fathom. And yet one of the things that impressed me about my conversation with her and some of the things that I've known about her even before the conversation is that she continues to carry herself with the grace and the love of Jesus Christ even after going through a variety of things like that. Now, Alvita shared with me that she certainly grew up hearing a lot about Jesus, but I think all of us probably can testify to the fact that just because you grow up in a context where you hear a lot about Jesus, that doesn't always guarantee that you personally are going to come to faith in Jesus. And so, in in fact, it wasn't until 1983 that she received the gift of salvation through faith in Christ. But since that time, she's experienced a radical transformation of her life, a radical transformation of her perspective, and she would also say a radical transformation of her sense of purpose. And as someone who, you know, when you're talking to her, you become very clear that that she's someone who is very conscious of the new and abundant life that she's been given through Jesus. In fact, she referenced that multiple times during our conversation. She's now chosen to dedicate the rest of her life to creating a culture of life in this country. And that's what she wants to dedicate the remainder of her years toward. And I thought it was kind of amazing to be able to have that conversation with her and see what the Lord's been doing in her life and how he's blessed her with the ability to see beyond the trials of this world, because she has seen many, many things that obviously hurt her deeply. And when I think about what the Lord's been doing in her life and how he's been transforming her in that capacity, one of the things that I'm reminded of is the fact that the Lord wants to do that for you and for me as well. This is an offer he's making to each of us. He wants to bless us with the gift of new life in Him. He wants to bless us with a brand new outlook that rests in the hope that He offers. He wants to prevent our hearts from becoming bitter and from becoming calloused. And there are many people in this world who go through life with very bitter and very calloused hearts. But the gift that the Lord offers, it's not always received. It's not always opened by the people that He's offering it too, in, in our day-to-day context, in the sense that he's making this available, but, but you look at, at a portion of humanity that accepts this gift and a portion of humanity that definitely doesn't. Years ago, I remember a, a friend of, of our family, a friend of my wife and I, um, she got married, and my wife and I decided, well, obviously, let, let's send her a, a financial gift to, to congratulate her, uh, because, especially because we couldn't attend the wedding in person. It was in a different country. And so we, uh, we sent her a, a financial gift just to say congratulations. Uh, and um, our friend never deposited the check. We were like, and, and so I, fo- I followed up with her, and I said, hey, uh, I said, I noticed that that check isn't deposited. Uh, is, is that something that you're going to deposit at some point here? You know, we want to make sure you deposit it in time. She said, oh, no, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. Thank you for sending that, and uh, I'll, I'll get to that soon. And here's the thing. She never deposited it. Her good intentions never resulted in the money being deposited in her account. And when I think about the gifts that the Lord offers us, I think we need to be more than just well-intentioned toward those gifts. Let's aim to understand and to value and to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus is offering us. Let's open the gift. Let it be deposited into your account. And let the presence of his Holy Spirit transform every single thing about you. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, we we just read down to verse 10. I'll reread it a section at a time as we work our way through it. Here you have the Lord demonstrating to us through the Apostle Paul's words 
the gift that we've been offered and the nature of it, but also the backstory, all the things that were taking place ahead of time that made the gift necessary. And one of the things that I think is useful that the Apostle Paul starts this section off with is reminding us that it's kind of useful to remember where we used to be and who we used to be and what we used to be. So let me reread the first three verses for us once again, remembering what we used to be. It says here, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now let me pause there for just a second. Um, I saw my wife just uh, come up from Children's Church. I see you in the back here. Dear wife, I'm about to reference you. I hope that's okay. And if it's not, let me know. Um, but I'll, the damage will already be done. But um, I often joke with Andrea, though, that I am glad that she met me when she did. Because if she met me just a few years earlier, I am not certain that she would have said yes when I asked her out. I really don't think she would have. When I described to her my personality, my life, my interests, where, what things looked like for me uh, just a few short years prior to us meeting. Sometimes I, I watch her face. It's like she's, she's just taking a bite of bitter fruit, you know? And I, I, I think, well, I'm, I'm glad we met when we did because my, my wife met me after I became serious about trusting in Jesus, after I became serious about following Jesus. And I often think if our paths crossed at an earlier season of life, she would have seen someone who was very much caught up in the things of this world. She would have seen someone who was trying to satisfy his heart with things that don't have the capacity to do so. Can you identify with that kind of experience? You know, have you, have you spent a season of your life trying to utilize the things of this world to satisfy a spiritual void, and one thing doesn't work, so you try another, and that doesn't work, and you try another, and you look at all the vain promises of this world, and you're like, one of these things might work. You know, people certainly tell me that this would work, and then you come to the spot where you realize none of this works. And the only thing that satisfies the, the void in our spirit is Jesus Christ. And when you look at this passage, when you look at how it describes our spiritual condition before meeting Christ, it tells us that we weren't just awkward. And I, again, when I think back to that season, I'm, I'm really glad I grew up in the era before everybody had a camera in their pocket all the time, because every picture I find during it, I'm like, oh, that's awkward. That's awkward. Well, spiritually speaking, we weren't just awkward, right? We weren't just off base. We, the scripture here tells us we were spiritually dead, and we were spiritually unable to do anything to correct that problem. That's a pretty bad dilemma to find yourself in. You were, you were spiritually dead and unable to fix it. Scripture reveals to us that in our trespasses, we had lost our way on this journey. And we are, in fact, on a journey that leads to destruction. And in our sin, we were missing the mark. We were missing the point of life. We had no idea where true life could be found, and we weren't even aiming for it. That's the condition that we were in when Christ intervened. And Paul here reminds us that we used to live according to the thought patterns of this world, and and. Just think about this for a second, because sometimes we treat the thought patterns of this world like they're not that big of a deal. But this scripture here tells us what's actually going on behind the scenes when it comes to worldly philosophies. The thought patterns of this world are under the direct influence of Satan himself. And the ironic thing about this is that 
while we were under that influence, we were completely unaware of it, just like most of the people living in this world presently demonstrate. We had no idea. Most people have no idea that they're buying into ideologies that, that have hatred and opposition to God at their core, at their root. But that's what the core of the dominant patterns of the thinking of this world really looks like and really represents. And that's what the Apostle Paul was trying to demonstrate here in this portion of Scripture. In fact, just last week, I came across an article, and um, I chose to read it. And after I read it, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I've, I've read in a long time. But I read an article that summarized the teaching of a particular college professor. This is present day. This is something happening right now. So I guess we could say during this semester. And according to him, he said, this world would be much better off if a large segment of humanity simply killed themselves. That was his advice. You think that's good counsel? That's what this professor said, and we're in the midst of this semester when you think about our, 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 uh, our college season right now. That's what this man said. Now, why would he say something like that? Why would he say something like that? Why would his mind think that that makes sense? Well, as I read that, I thought to myself, all right, his comments demonstrate that he has no understanding of the fact that mankind has been created in the image of God. Because if you had an understanding of the fact that we've been created in the image of God, you wouldn't make a statement like that. And when you look at his manner of teaching, what he's doing is he's elevating certain people groups over other people groups, and he fails to value human life like the miracle that it is. And every worldly philosophy, and I hope, just think about this for a second here, and I want you to evaluate different philosophies and trains of thought that you've, that you've heard espoused by different people, but every worldly philosophy that treats people like a problem to be eradicated instead of a precious creation in need of redemption, is not of God. If humanity is being treated in that philosophy like a problem to be eradicated, and not the precious creation of God, that's not something that came from God. Every worldly philosophy that promotes hatred for or harm of the human body is not of God. It's of Satan. So I want to encourage us to do something in light of what Paul says here in this portion of Scripture, please regularly examine your philosophical and your social beliefs to make sure that you are not actually buying into something that's satanic at its core. And Paul here says that all of us at one point used to buy into that in one way or another. We used to buy into philosophies that treated humanity like a problem to be eradicated, not a precious creation to be redeemed. We used to buy into that. And because we believed these things, what we ended up doing, like Paul says here, is we devoted our lives toward gratifying the desires and the passions of our flesh. That's what our life was devoted toward. That's what we thought would satisfy the void in our soul. That if we devoted our lives to the passions of our flesh, that somehow we would find satisfaction in this life. We were under the illusion that, that the void in our soul could be satisfied with the temptations that this world dangled in front of us, but think about what happens when you really spend your life giving into those things. It only leads us to shame. It only leads us to needless regrets. And it only leads us to self-destruction. And that's where we were. But the good news is, you don't have to stay there. I love looking at a portion of Scripture like this and 
being reminded in a very helpful way that that's exactly where I was, but also being reminded of the fact that God didn't leave me there. Now, if God wanted to, he could have left me in that mess. If God wanted to, he could have left you in that mess. But thankfully, in his great compassion, he has provided for us the only way out. And so you have Paul transitioning his conversation here in Ephesians chapter 2 to now acknowledging where God has brought us. Look at what he says in verse 4 down to verse 7. He says, but God being rich in mercy. Isn't that great just to be able to start off that statement that way? But God being rich in mercy. So he's, he's trying to transition our thing. He's like, look, this is the mess you were in. You were stuck. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me pause there for just a a second. Let me ask a question. Um, You ever been in a spot where you were just kind of stuck in a jam and you had absolutely no idea what to do and no idea how to get yourself out of it? You ever found yourself in a spot like that? Um, You've ever been in a spot where you knew that without the help of somebody else, you were without hope? Um, Rich, I I, I asked your permission to share something the other day, and I didn't realize until at the end of this past week that I was going to share it this week, but Rich told me a story the other day that I thought was amazing. So just a few days ago, um, Rich got a call from his daughter. Now, you know Octavia. Make sure you let Octavia know that, that uh, she got referenced in today's message, all right? But Octavia right now lives in Virginia, and that's, how many hours away is that? It's about seven. Yeah, so about seven hours away, right? And if you hit traffic, what you probably usually do is probably like eight, right? You know, so it's like seven hours away, living down in Virginia, going to college. And the other evening, she was driving her car on unfamiliar roads about a half hour from her university, and unfortunately, she got a flat tire and she had to pull over. And uh, I was with Rich moments after this happened, and she didn't know what to do. She wasn't really sure what to do, and so she called her dad. And, uh, you know, she's seven hours away, and so Rich sits there on the phone with her for, for a moment, trying to figure out how best to coach her from a distance, realizing he can't just hop in the car and get there in a quick period of time, Right. So he's trying to coach her from a distance, and as they're talking on the phone, a truck pulls up next to her car. It's like, what's that? Well, it turns out it was a Michelin tire truck. A Michelin tire truck. And within minutes, they fixed her tire, and they wouldn't take any money for it. And then they were off, and this is all while Rich is still on the phone with her, trying to figure out the solution. You even have to figure it out. The Lord figured it out for them. Like, in an instant. And he was just looking, and, and like I, I interacted with him moments after this happened, and you could just see the stars in his eyes watching as a prayer had been immediately answered, probably even before you're able to utter more than just help, right? You know, I mean, you're still trying to coach her through this, and sometimes you ever pray those prayers that really are just one word, help? Like, I'm just stuck, help? So, I mean... What a gift, right? I mean, she's stuck on the road in Virginia with a flat tire, and within moments, a Michelin tire truck pulls up and fixes it, and then they're off. And Rich and I were like, do you think angels were driving that truck? Like, is this, do angels work for Michelin? They might. In the south, like in the north here, they did. 
Now consider the helpless condition that we were in as the Apostle Paul describes it here in this passage. God found us and He showed up when we were spiritually dead and we weren't seeking Him. That's the other thing that the, that the Scriptures make abundantly clear. We weren't looking for Him. We were stuck and we were hopeless, but we actually were not looking for His help. Right? We were still convinced that we didn't need Him. And uh, even without realizing it, we were living like His enemies. We were spiritually dead. Our minds were not awake to the, awakened to the truth yet. We were spiritually dead, living like His enemies, and basically saying, you know, I don't think I even need such help from a God if He even exists. And yet God demonstrated His great mercy by opening up our eyes to realize that we actually needed His help. And then He graciously provided that help through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Scripture reveals to us that as we receive Christ's help by faith, we are united to Christ and made alive in Him. So we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We were dead in our sin and trespasses, but yet through faith in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God that's demonstrated to us in such a a wonderful way, we're made alive in Christ. We're given new life. And in addition to that, we're promised a glorious future instead of the condemnation that we deserved. We deserved condemnation. We deserved the outcome of our lack of faith, the outcome of our rebellion. And yet, by grace, we're given something so far beyond what we deserved. It's a gift that we didn't deserve, and didn't deserve, and the Lord blesses us with it. And it's amazing to me to consider God's willingness to do for us, all of this for us, but that's exactly what He's done. We didn't deserve it, and yet this is what He's done for us. And I look at stuff like this, and I think to myself, all right, I don't ever want to forget where He has brought me. Because I think there's a danger that I have experienced, and maybe you've experienced this, the longer we know the Lord. I have now spent more of my life knowing the Lord than, I've, than I spent, you know, distant from Him, not walking with Him. And so it can become very easy to think of your old life as a very distant memory, and you can almost get to a spot, if you're not careful, where you start to think that you've done this for yourself, that you fixed this for yourself that somehow you opened your own eyes, or somehow you just made good decisions, and that's how you got where you are. And that's not what Scripture reveals to us. I don't ever want to become the type of person that that says that I follow Christ, but yet I'm actually living like I'm ungrateful for Him. And so it's helpful for me to look at a portion of Scripture like this that reminds me that if not for the mercy of God, if not for the love of God, I would be stuck. I would be absolutely hopeless I don't ever want to become ungrateful to him, nor do I want to forget the fact that he rescued me when I was stranded. I was stuck, and I didn't even realize how much I needed his help, and yet he did that for me. And I think that that's important for us to to recognize because we're all forgetful people. I'm a forgetful man. You're forgetful people as well. We can get so used to God's blessings that I think eventually we could start to think that we didn't really even need His help in the first place, that, that the way our life is was going to eventually just happen as it is, and that's not the case. And sometimes when we get to that spot, we, we kind of treat our life like we don't need to value the relationship that we have with Him. And I look at that, and to me, that's also an issue of loyalty. And what I mean by that is this, He gave me life, I was dead. He helped me when I was stuck. I need to remain loyal to Him. I can't become disloyal. I can't become somebody who just 
loses my focus on him and then overly focuses on myself and then my loyalty to him becomes like a vapor. And I was reminded of that just a few weeks ago. I was actually talking to a friend midweek, but I happened to be standing right here where I'm preaching. I was setting some things up here and then he called me on the phone. And so I was literally right here and then I just kind of rested my arm on the, on the podium here on the pulpit while I was talking to him on the phone. And um, this friend happens to be a, a, he's a business coach. And so he was telling me about somebody that he was coaching, somebody whose business was really struggling. And he spent a lot of time coaching this person through the downturns of, of, the, of the past season. And then as soon as they got right on their feet, they ghosted him. They abandoned him. And I, I felt his pain. I think he just wanted to express that a little bit. And I, I said to him, I said, you know what that sounds like to me? I said, doesn't that sound like a loyalty thing to you? I said, that sounds like a loyalty thing to me. I mean, that's the type of thing where I think, you know, if someone helps you, like, don't you have something in your spirit that says, that's a loyal friend. I need to be a loyal friend to someone who was loyal to me. I need to be a loyal friend. And uh, it reminded me of just how easy it is to be disloyal in a relational context, but also in a spiritual way. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to acknowledge where we were and where he's brought us and remain loyal to him. And just thank him for the fact that he has rescued us from the absolute pit that we were stuck in. And our loyalty to him shouldn't waver once he places us on solid ground. What we ought to do is use that opportunity to be on solid ground to then testify to the fact that he is so good and that he is so kind and that he is so merciful and compassionate and that he loved us in a way that we didn't deserve. I was set against God as his enemy. I wasn't looking for him. I didn't even know I was stranded on the side of the road. I didn't even understand the nature of the peril that I was in. And yet he reached into my life and opened my eyes to be able to see that sort of stuff and showed me my need for him. And he drew my heart unto himself. And now I follow him. But none of that is my own doing. That's his doing because he made it all possible. And I love how the Apostle Paul finishes up This portion of Scripture, when you look at verses 8, 9, and 10, where basically he's encouraging us, look, give God credit. Give him the credit that he's due, because he's the one that deserves credit for all of this. Look at what he says in verse 8 down to verse 10. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Can I say that statement again? And this is not your own doing. Let's just let that hang in the air for a little bit. Because isn't the dominant philosophy of the world right now just humanism, right? It's all about us. It's like the earth revolves around us, the world revolves around us, the sun revolves around us. It's just humanism upon humanism. And here the scripture says, this is not your own doing. You didn't do this. This is not your own doing. You and I do not deserve credit for our salvation. It is not our doing. Paul says, and this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'll tell you what, over the course of my ministry, I've been a pastor almost 25 years, and During that time, I have done a lot of funerals. I have no idea at this point how many funerals I've officiated for, but there's a lot that 
that I've done. In fact, when I was uh, serving a, a church up in Plymouth, Pennsylvania, there was a funeral home locally that would call me every time somebody would come there without a pastor, but yet wanted a pastor to officiate for a funeral. And so they'd say, would you come and would you officiate? And so lots of funerals I've, I've officiated. And it's interesting that you, so there's something you learn when, you're, when you spend a lot of time at funerals. You get to hear a lot about what people are placing their hope in. Sometimes very, very sad. In fact, at this point, I don't, I don't know how many funerals I've spoken at. It's a lot. I don't know how many different reasons or, or thoughts people have had that, that they've expressed what they've placed their hope in, but it's a lot. And at one of the more recent funerals that I did, a man walked up to me and he said to me, he said, I'm actually concerned for when this day comes for me. And uh, he elaborated and he said, you know, I'm concerned because the, my former priest isn't going to be able to officiate for me. And I said, okay. Uh, I, I asked him why that troubled him. I said, like, why is that, why is that something that kind of strikes you as, as you know, just a, a really big deal? And he said, well, I was counting on that guy to get me into heaven. But now he passed away, and he said, I don't have a plan B. That's literally what he said. That's as best as I can quote it from my memory. He's like, I was counting on that guy to get me into heaven, and now he passed and I don't have a plan B. So I thought it was interesting. And it's interesting and it's very sad to hear some of the things that people are really trusting to save their souls. So some people may be trusting their priest. Some people may be trusting their pastor. Some people may be trusting their church attendance. Some people may be trusting their donations. Or most commonly, what are most people trusting? They're trusting their good works, right? Most people are trusting their good works, whatever category they put it in. They're trusting that their good works are what the Lord's going to look at and say, you did a lot of good stuff. Get in here. And then you look at what the Scripture says. This is not our own doing. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But it is kind of like our own doing, right, God? He's like, "Uh, no, you read what I said, right? It's like, yeah, but can't we just, like, make up what we want it to say? He's like, well, if it's your own doing, then you can boast. And then you look at what the Scripture says here, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift of grace. It is not a reward for effort. In fact, the Scripture is very clear that because of our sin, the only payment we earned in the spiritual realm was death. The only way we'll experience salvation is, is by receiving it as the free gift that it is, a free gift that is offered to us by the Lord, paid for by Jesus Christ. In fact, let me just bring this up on the screen. Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So just think of that statement right there. The way, you know, I don't know when you get paid, whatever payday is for you. It's a day that everybody looks forward to, right? Payday is a great day. It's also a great candy bar, right? One of the best. But when you look at this, the wages of sin is what? What does our sin earn us? Death. That's what you've earned. Death. Do you really want to stand before God and say, God, give me what I've earned? He's nice enough to look at us and say, you don't want that. You don't want what you've earned. That's what you've earned. You don't want that. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't expensive. Christ paid for it with His own blood. But He offers it to you freely because you couldn't afford it. The only thing you and I could earn was that, 
death. We couldn't earn the gift of God. We couldn't earn eternal life, so it was given to us as we trust in Jesus Christ. And when you look at what Paul reveals to us here in Ephesians, he reveals that we're saved by the grace of God. So this undeserved favor of God, we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not our own doing. It's not something we could boast about as if we've earned it. We can trust in the work Jesus did for us, but we can't trust in the work that we've done for ourselves. And if salvation was a reward for our effort, we'd be able to boast about having it. But because it's a gift that was paid for by Jesus Christ himself, all we could ever do is boast in the work that he did on our behalf. So I can brag about the perfect life that Jesus lived. I can brag about the death that he died on the cross. I can brag about his resurrection. But I can't brag about myself. And the scripture makes it abundantly clear why I can't. It's because the only thing I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That is my contribution. I rebelled. I sinned. I I was filled with disbelief. That's my contribution. I earned death. And the Lord looked at me with mercy and he said, I want better for you than that. Now, let me say this. I don't know everybody in this room. I try to get to know everybody. I, by the way, from time to time, if I've only met you recently, like, tell me your name sometimes. Like, just remind me of your name. I don't know everybody's heart in this room. I don't know your background. I don't know those details. So I'm not going to make an assumption when we read a portion of Scripture like this that this is something you're well acquainted with. I'm actually going to make the opposite assumption. I'm going to make the assumption that this may be, for someone in this room, the very first time this information has ever been shared with you. And maybe up to this point, you've been approaching salvation as if it's something that you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to tell him the civic organizations that you volunteered with, the donations that you gave, the time that you spent helping other people, the food that you gave to the needy. All of those things are wonderful things. They just don't earn you anything in regard to salvation. They're nice things to do. But salvation isn't a matter of us having a list of nice things we've done. My hope isn't in me or the nice things I've done. I've done nice things, but if that was sufficient, then I could just worship me then. I could just worship myself and say, here's the nice things I've done. But the Scripture says it's not like that. We worship Jesus who did what ultimately needed to be done for us. And we receive salvation as a gift because it's not a matter of us bragging about what we've done. It's a matter of us looking at what he's done and saying, that's what was sufficient. That's what was needed. And when that's straight in our minds, we can, re- we can respond in a joyful and in an exciting way. Because the work we do now is not a matter of trying to earn salvation. It's a way to express our thankfulness to God who saved us. When we serve one another, we can say, thank you to Jesus who gave us the new desire to serve. When we give to one another, we can say, thank you to Jesus who gave us the best gift in this age and in the age to come. Because we've been given a new mind in Jesus Christ, we can realize that, that life is not about trying to gain glory for ourselves. Real life is about giving Him glory. He has prepared opportunities for us to serve so that we could glorify His name and not try and receive glory for ourselves. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Our new life in Christ is not a reward for our service. It's a gift that was paid for with His service. So let's receive that gift humbly. 
And let's remember what God rescued us from. And let's give God the credit He's due. And let's trust Jesus completely with every ounce of our being. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and just rejoice in who you are and to rejoice in how you choose to operate in your creation and how you choose to operate in our lives. Lord, we don't deserve your goodness. We don't deserve your blessings. We don't deserve any of the things that you've done on our behalf. But we're so grateful for the fact that you looked at us and in your great love and in your great mercy, you extended your grace toward us and you offer us new life through your Son. So, Father, we pray that that would be a gift that we would open. We pray that that wouldn't be like a card given at a wedding that we just never open and never deposit the check. We pray that this would be something where we realize, all right, I'm spiritually bankrupt. And apart from the intervention of my Creator, I am stuck. So, Lord, thank you for making that possible for us to respond. Thank you for making it possible for us to see our need. And thank you for intervening in our life and then creating a work for us to be able to walk in as a response, as a a way to say thank you, but not as a way to try and earn your favor, because we know your favor cannot be earned. The only thing we earned was death. And so because that's the only thing we had the capacity to earn, you understood completely that the only way we'd ever receive salvation is if you just gave it to us. And so we thank you that you give it to us, that we receive it by your grace, that we receive it through faith. So Lord, help us not to reject the offer. Help us to trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and to receive the gift that you've offered to us. We don't deserve it, but we're grateful for it. And we pray that as we, as we receive that gift, that we would walk as men and women who are completely loyal to you, because you've given us life where we had no life. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this reminder from your word. We pray that it would be the type of thing that stays in our mind every single day, and that when we start to drift from it, that we would revisit these words and preach them to our hearts all over again, and that we would walk with you like you've called us to do. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.